David Bernstein. Welcome to this edition of the SpeechCast, a joint project of the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values and the Speech Project of the Jewish Journal. Um, I'm really happy to have on today uh, Sefi Kogan. Uh, Sefi is the Global Director of Young Leadership for American Jewish Committee. Um, I worked for American Jewish Committee for 13 years. I, I like to say it was sort of my, my graduate school of Jewish professional <laughs> leadership um, and uh, still maintain ties with a lot of uh, the professionals at, uh, and lay leaders at AJC. And uh, Safi, I don't think we overlapped. If we did, it would have been very, very briefly. But um, I've certainly seen you um, become a leader of the organization and have been very impressed with the direction that you've taken your work. And um, I really am glad you're with us today. So as you know, um, I'm um, very engaged in the issue of freedom of expression and particularly freedom of expression in the Jewish community. Um, we are worried that uh, we are seeing a sort of closing of the Overton window, um, that it is increasingly challenging to talk about important and sensitive topics um, and I'm wondering um, what you see in your work. Um, look, definitely there are challenges to free speech um, that we are seeing more and more. And, and, you know, sometimes people like to cast those either, you know, someone on the right might say, oh, it's those liberal snowflakes uh, or, or, you know, liberal political correctness. Um, that is that is cutting off speech and and people on the left will ironically um, often point to to the same thing kind of repurposing that snowflake terminology and and lobbing it back at at the right um you know we're we're, we're certainly seeing a, a censorious inclination um, coming from from both sides of the aisle um and um and and that is uh, that's a challenge to to talk about critical topics in in the Jewish discourse, um, as well as more broadly in the American political discourse. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've talked to people about recently, and I'm sort of still working on in my own mind, is are we actually seeing a mirror image on the left and the right? Um, one very prominent person I talked to about this said they feel that on the left, what we're seeing is ideology and on the right populism, and that um, and that we shouldn't think of these challenges as really identical in that way. We should be thinking of them as very different and that we shouldn't think that every time we criticize a, uh, something on the left that we should criticize something on the right and vice versa because we're not dealing with a phenomena that really is the same on each. On, what, what's your, do you have a take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't like playing that game where, you know, someone in the center or, or someone, and, and I consider myself a centrist, certainly AJC is a centrist organization where someone in the center feels that they need to kind of keep score and can only criticize, um, you know, can only, let's say, can only criticize the right if they are um, coming up with commensurate criticisms for people on the left. I think that like something that is deserving of, of criticism um, should be criticized on the merits rather than you know, because we we need to make we need to to do some kind of tit for tat in order to maintain um, a a position solidly in the center. So I'm 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 not I'm not in favor of that. Look, there are a lot of smart people who I listen to um, or read um, who talk about a phenomenon of asymmetric polarization in this country, which is to say the left is polarized and the right is super polarized. Um, 
I, I, I don't know where I come out on that. I haven't, I haven't, you know, done any personal research into that, but it's, it's certainly a, um, a, uh, an idea that exists out there in, in the discourse. And I, I think maybe the the, the, the inverse exists when we're talking about, um, about freedom of speech, where, um, the right is censorious and the left is super censorious. And, mm-hmm. and here I'm really not talking about the mainstream um, of, either, um, of either political side, um, but there is, there's a much louder mob, I think, um, or at least that I've seen um, on the left that's trying to, to put certain, um, certain things out of bounds. Um, than there is on on the right. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Interesting observation about more polarization on the right and more censoriousness on the left. Um, so we have the Jewish community, um, and I don't know about you, but I certainly started to see this um, seep into Jewish discourse, probably as early as anywhere else, um, partly because the Jewish community has such a history of engagement in the civil rights movement, because we want to be aligned um, with the forces of good in the world. Um, what, what is your take on where the discourse is in the Jewish community today? Are you, I, you know, I think it's an important question, and I want to, I want to, I want to try to clarify. Are you talking about? how the Jewish community engages with the broader American discourse, or are you talking about discourse kind of um, endogamous to the, like within the Jewish community? Try, try both. Start with outside <laughs> and then go inside. <laughs> since you, since you uh, made it a better question. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't know about better, uh, more complicated, harder for, harder for myself to answer. Right, right, um, right. So um I think when it comes to the discourse, um, the broader American discourse that the Jewish community engages in, um, look, the, the Jewish community is not a monolith politically. I don't think anyone would say that. But in a certain sense, you know, there isn't that much political diversity within within the Jewish community. Just, just when we talk about our two kind of, within our two party system, right? Um, uh, you know, AJC just released the, the findings uh, or, or the prolif- some of the findings of our um, uh, 2020, 2020 survey of American Jewish opinion. Um, and, um, and we found that there are basically sky high uh, approval ratings for, um, for President Biden within the Jewish community, something like 70% of American Jews approve of the job that he's doing. Um, and that number even kind of uh, gets a little bit higher, I think, on, on some specific issues. Um, so I, 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 what, what stood out to me is that 99% of Reconstructionist Jews uh, approve of the job that he's doing. Um, and, and I think 12% of, uh, of Orthodox Jews. Mm. Um, that's interesting. Um, right. Those uh, Those two groups remain um, fairly um, fairly small. Certainly the Reconstructionist uh, uh, branch is, is small. The Orthodox um, movement is growing, uh, but in terms of overall share of the American Jewish population, um, I think it's something like 10%. Um, so it's not, it's not huge, 12% maybe. Um, 
and um, and and kind of the the great middle of American Jews, which is to say people who are not affiliated or affiliated with one of the two um, kind of main liberal movements, the reform movement or the conservative movement, um, that that those um, that those uh, groups approve. So so when we're talking about the issue of, of free speech, I think that that patterns among American Jews generally mirror patterns among American uh, liberals and and progressives. Um, so that's that's the that's the first thing. I'm I'm I think there was something in your question where you were you know maybe suggesting do, is there a chance that American Jews are are more interested in in maintaining open debate and discourse as a result of um, of our history of being a people of of debate and discourse. And I I don't think that that I I don't think that I have personally seen that manifest um, among the American Jewish um, political, broader political debate. Now, what about, what about within the Jewish community? Um, it's an interesting question um, because there are, there are very few things, as we all know, as we all joke about, that American Jews agree on. Um, I... Um, I had, I used to keep in my notebook, um, my AJC notebook. <coughs> I used to keep in my AJC notebook that I, that I used to bring with me to like every speaking engagement that I would go to mm -hmm. a, a list of kind of percentages of, of things that, um, that were kind of common among American Jews. Um, and I haven't seen that notebook since February of, uh, of 2020. Um, so you'll forgive me for, for trying to, to recreate this from memory. Um, but um, what, and, and this, is, this is not scientific. I'm mixing a lot of different polls here. Sure. Um, but Pew back in 2013, and I didn't look at the updated uh, numbers for this, found that something like, I think it was something like 75% of American Jews participate in a Passover Seder. And that's the number one religious thing that Jews do together. Um, but you can get a little bit higher than that in terms of things that Jews agree on. Um, because, um, because something like 78% or maybe even a bit higher than that of American Jews um, attend uh, an institution of, of higher learning, right? Go to, go to college or university. Um, and you can get a bit higher than that because um, back in, in the 2018 exit polls, um, I think it was uh, right around 80% um, of American Jews reported that they voted for, for a Democrat. Um, but you can actually get a little bit higher than that because um, as I'm sure you're aware, um, uh, opinion polls of American Jews, including uh, by Mark Melman and, and others, have found that um, somewhere in the high 80s or even the low 90s percent of American Jews um, uh, support Israel. Um, and, and some of them do it in a qualified way. Some of them do it in a way where they say, you know, oh, but I disagree with the policies of the current Israeli government. Fine. The, 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 like, the number one political or policy um, question that, that I have seen the highest kind of single response for among American Jews um, is um, that, that Israel is important to them, that they support Israel, et cetera. Um, however, there are some um, on the on the left of the, the kind of far left of the American Jewish community um, who who they then become, even if they might be censorious in other areas, they then become the people who are saying, um, oh, you know, 
well, we, we can't just say, you know, that that all American Jews support Israel. It's wrong to do that. It's wrong to conflate um, to conflate Judaism with Zionism, um, et cetera. You've you've heard those those arguments. Um, and I think there's something really interesting there. Right. I think that there's something really interesting to these people who are who are otherwise susceptible um, to all of the kind of, you know, anti liberal speech um, constraints that are native to the far left in American politics. They are they're they're fully a part of that. Um, and yet they are kind of sticking up for their own um, free speech within the American Jewish community. Right. Right. There is a tension. It seems that the Jewish right wants to be censorious when it comes to the Israel debate and the Jewish left wants to be censorious when it comes to debate on social issues like uh, race and racism and tr trans rights and the like. And, um, and, 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 I'm, and I'm kind of sitting here in the center just saying like, well, 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 let's just be realistic, right? Like, let's just let's just look at the numbers and recognize that most J American Jews are in favor of a fairly, um, you know, fairly liberal, progressive social and, and economic policies in this country. And also most American Jews are in favor of a continued strong U.S.-Israel relationship, um, in favor of um, of you know of of of, of Zionism, um, in favor of frankly you know at, at at the very least the continued existence of the state of Israel, um, and and thank God uh, in favor of the continued thriving uh, and flourishing of of the state of Israel. I, I just want people to to accurately represent where the American Jewish community is on these critical issues. Right. So. Yes, and yet majorities we know in every society are also susceptible of using that majoritarian power to sort of impose views on on minorities, whether you're on the left on Israel or on the right on on these other social issues. But let's I want to sort of it's interesting that you how you characterize my question and probably uh, earlier question, which wasn't phrased very well which is, I actually don't think that the Jewish community today, by and large, and it's com complicated, as you said, is um, is open to debate and discussion on a lot of these issues. I think the Jewish community, if anything, is sort of trying to find its place in this new civil rights moment and thinks that the only way to do it is to buy into the terminology that we're seeing from Black Lives Matter, from the critical social justice crowd and so forth. Um, early on, I um, in the sort of when I came to JCPA, I wrote a piece on black Jewish relations, why I thought the Jewish community really had to step up to the plate, be willing to take risks with, with the groups that it talked to, be part of these discussions. But we didn't have to do it, I argued, um, in the voice of white supremacy, in the voice of critical social justice that held a binary worldview. We could do it in our own Jewish voice of, of social justice. And whatever that is, but it wasn't that. It wasn't the critical social justice voice. And what I realized is I was absolutely wrong because you can't actually do it in that voice. You have to buy into the ideology or check your, your, your personal views at the door if you're going to engage and be part of this new coalition. I mean, am, was, am I wrong about that? Um, am I wrong that, and, and that many Jews who care about civil rights and care about the community are in effect checking whatever personal views that they might have about race and racism and the complexity of society. They're checking that at the door so that they can be part of this larger discussion on Black Lives Matter and civil rights and the like. Hmm. Look, I, I'm not in the room um, at 
any of the kind of venerable and and impressive um let's just let's just stick with the with the black example um you know black uh advocacy organizations right um i have i have so much as as a student of american history i have so much respect um and appreciation for the accomplishments of those organizations yes. mm-hmm. um over uh, over the generations um but but you know it's it's impossible for me to to get to get in their heads uh, and and understand you know what what the leaders of those organizations think about this current moment and you know critical theory and and those kinds of things and 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 call the homer right how much more so am i not in the room um of you know the the black lives matter kind of upstart um uh racial activist uh organization so so i i can't you know it's 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 really impossible for me to to put myself um to put myself in in the shoes of um of those organizations what i do know from being in the room um, uh, at, at a counterpart Jewish organization, um, which strives to, to partner with our kind of, you know, old venerable partners, um, in, in the black community, uh, as with other communities. Um, what I do know is that there are times when there is a lot of pressure from, um, from the activists in, in the Jewish community. And, and here, here I'm, referring mostly to activists on the right, actually, but activists on the left as well, um, for the community to kind of adopt a particular strategy around, I don't know, fighting BDS, let's just say as an example. Um, And sometimes they have a good kind of novel idea that that deserves broader adoption. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have like a really bad idea that actually would be not strategic for the community to pursue. Um, and I don't want to get into kind of, you know, backroom boardroom conversations um, at, at, at my, at my place of business or, or conjecture about what, you know, organizations like, you know, ADL or, or other organizations like that might be, uh, might be experiencing, but I know, uh, you know, what, what they might ultimately decide, but I know that there is a lot of pressure generally to, to adopt kind of certain strategies and tactics. Um, so um, I'm, I, I would suspect that the same thing exists um, among kind of uh, the, the, the really um, sensible and, and effective um, black organizations that they, um, that they are also subject to a lot of pressure from their activist classes. Um, so so it's, it's impo- all, all which is to say like, it's it's impossible for me um, to to kind of have a sense of of what what these organizations would do if they were you know king king for a day. Um, your question is: Can Jews and and I would expand it to can Jewish organizations can we engage um, you know can we engage kind of on our own terms um, with with these issues? Um, and and for for all the reasons I just laid out, um, I think that it, the the obvious answer is no, um, because there is kind of a a um, 
a coagulation of thought around one very particular kind of way of, of doing things as happens uh, within communities when, when dealing with, uh, with advocacy and activism. Um, the, the more complicated answer is, well, actually maybe yes, because I don't know to what degree these organizations as pushed by their activists are really representative of the broader, um, of the broader um, kind of black American thought. Um, and, and there are, you know, I was just listening this morning um, to a podcast that, um, that I sometimes like uh, called The Fifth Column, um, which, um, which features um, Kamel Foster, who's one of these like really um, interesting, um, extremely heterodox um, uh, black thinkers. Um, and, and he had on, um, a lot, you know, he and his hosts had on Jane Coaston, um, who hosts the New York times podcast, the argument. Um, and she's, she's, a, a, a black person and a libertarian, um, and, and, and also like extremely heterodox in, in her thinking around these issues. Um, neither of them are like, you know, to, to co- the, we're, we're not talking about uncle Tom's here, right? Like we're not talking about right. people who aren't proud, um, who aren't proud Americans, who aren't proud black people, who are somehow shrinking away from their, um, from their, um, from their racial identity. Although I think, I think Kamel would probably kind of reject the idea that race imposes any particular identity on, on a person. Um, there's of course, you know, the Thomas Chariton Williams of the world and the, and the Glenn Lowry's and the, um, and, um, um, and, and people like that. Um, and, um, I think that it's important. Um, it's important not to fall into the trap of assuming that just because the activist classes of a certain community, be they, you know, the if not nows in in the American Jewish community, um, or the Black Lives Matters and and other uh, other types like that um, in the Black community, that they are necessarily representative. Um, of, uh, of, of a given community. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. So let's talk a little bit about young Jews, which you have a lot of experience with. Um, but I thought I'd start out with um, a case study that may or may not have actually happened in reality, okay? So um, um, we're, we're in a civil rights strategy meeting of some sort. We have different Jewish organizations around the table. And there's a, a fairly young Jew who's there who uh, uses pronouns, which is cool. I use my pronouns too. I have no problem with that. Um, but um, we started getting to the uh, discussions and we talk about, um, we talk about what we're going to do next. And the, and the person, and the person, the young Jew says, um, before we, um, we get into what we do in the outside world, it's very important that we first take responsibility for our own role and uh, Jewish role and white uh, and complicity in white supremacy. And we should center black voices, black Jewish voices in this conversation. And a couple other people probably in the same age cohort chime in and agree. And all of a sudden the conversation switches from the civil rights conversation to one about how Jews should um, accept their complicity in white supremacy. And I've, seen conversations like this happen over and over again, where um, now a lot of the older Jews in the room, and you know, I guess I'm one of them, um, starts to defer 
to um, to that. And and that and they and they take over the conversation and you feel like you can't say, I'm sorry, we're not complicit in white supremacy. That was not part of the acceptable parameters of discourse. Is that something that you're seeing? Is that something that um, that is common among a younger cohort of Jews, a younger cohort of Jewish professionals? What's your experience in that? Well, let me just point out something that's kind of like inherent to that to that hypothetical, which is like the conversation about the, the conversation that that was taking place in that story about American Jewish support for like important, critical civil rights issues of today has been derailed now. Right. Like from from your story, I'm saying, right. like, you know, and and so instead of talking about, you know, ways in which the American Jewish community can um, can get on board with um, with police reform, because, of course, the American Jewish community is not going to get on board with actually defunding the police. That's ludicrous. Um, ways in which we can get um, on board uh, with with um, with bail reform, um, with reforming the war on drugs, um, uh, with education initiatives, etc. Um, all of those uh, things have now fallen by the wayside so that people can have a a um, uh, a um, intellectual and, and masturbatory conversation um, about um, whether the American Jewish community um, has been complicit in, in white supremacy. So, you know, I, to, to, to quote, the, I, just because I was literally just listening to this, this podcast uh, episode that I mentioned before, the fifth column, um, you know, J Jane Coaston tells a story of, you know, so, so three people are, are walking past a homeless person and two people start to, to make fun of him. And the third person says, hey, you shouldn't make fun of homeless people. So, okay, so maybe they've learned not to make fun of homeless people, but the person's still homeless, right? So, so, right. so, so if, if, if people are engaged in critical advocacy conversations, then probably that's not the right time for someone to say, you know, oh, but because, because people have gathered at the table ready to try to support change. But so, they're, they're challenging our standing to do that advocacy and, work. And, I, and I'm challenging them and saying like, go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, that's, not, that's not helpful. What's helpful is getting people around the table. What's helpful is that people want to engage in those conversations that are forward looking, right? And this is something that, that LBJ understood, right? Pre President, President Johnson, um, who who was you know a, a, a an old Paul from from Texas um, who was known um, to say Negro in in such a which was which was then kind of the 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 vernacular for for black people in such a way that it you know wasn't quite but almost sounded like the N word and and he was just extremely casual about that and I'm sure he did use the N word too I mean he was thought of as kind of a, a typical racist Southern Democrat. Um, and then he came into the White House and did more for racial progress um, than any president since Lincoln. And arguably, and, and probably I would argue this, any president subsequent to, to Johnson. Um, so, um, you know, ch change can come from people, even if they don't kind of, um, kind of examine um, you know, it, it examines structural racism in their own society and and sure. think about their own complicity and in, in blah, 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 blah. Like change comes because people recognize that there's a need um, for change. And 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 I, I would say to someone who, you know, came to a, a table like the one that you describe um, and said, like, 
well, before we can make change, we need to make sure that X, Y, and Z, um, you know, it's good to, to understand these things. It's good to have a grasp of these things. Of course, we should be hearing, you know, as a Jewish community, we should be hearing from, from the voices of, of Jews of color and, and black Jews in particular when talking about these conversations. Of course, all of that is extremely obvious. But if you're coming to the table to derail the conversation and have an entirely different, entirely unproductive conversation, um, then I, I just don't see how you're, how you're helping. Right, right. Um, yes, and I've seen a number of cases where people said, well, let's, we have to have, uh, we have to center black Jewish voices in a conversation or black voices, depending if it's a secular institution. And then nothing happens because people are waiting for somebody to step up the plate. So they decide not to have the conversation at all. Well, look, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be understood to, to be saying that like, it's not important to listen to, to black Jewish voices in, in this conversation. And I don't think you're, you're saying that either. No, I, I would um, not. Of, I would. of, of, of course, of course that is important. Um, and, and I think that, that there is, that there is, there is something flawed um, if, uh, with with the process, if people are gathering around that table, um, and um, and and the people at the table haven't all been informed by black voices, and ideally there are there are black voices at the table. There, look, there are there are more black Jews today than there probably ever were before. Um, there still aren't a huge number of them, um, so it's it's like not that weird when. Jews get together in a space and there aren't any black Jews in that space. Uh, but if you're, if you're Dafka getting together to have a conversation um, about precisely that topic, then I would think that you, that one should go out of their way to be sure that they're including um, black Jewish voices in, in that conversation. Sure. So um, what is your experience about young, seeing young Jews in this current discourse? Um, do the Jew, young Jews that you've worked with um, generally support this ideological movement is it is it mixed? Is it uh, opposed? Where, 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 what are you seeing? Um, it is mixed. Um, it is definitely mixed. <laughs> um, what 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 else? I mean, what else can I tell you about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, have you had any specific experiences that you could share that sort of um, expose this dynamic and what we might understand the current state of young Jews to be? Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to think about what is appropriate to share um, because these conversations are so sensitive, and when they take place in in an institutional context, you know they're not always um, shaped uh, for public dissemination. Um, I, I mean, look, I, I think that overwhelmingly within the community of young American Jews, we believe that there is extensive room for racial progress that remains in America. Mm -hmm. um, overwhelmingly, um, the vast majority um, of American Jews that I am in community with, young American Jews that I'm in community with, in conversation with, um, that engage with AJC, um, believe that um, that there is um, progress yet to be made. Um, I think there was a moment, um, which some have referred to as America's racial reckoning. Um, I think there was a moment last summer when people were extremely eager to, you know, associate themselves 
with um, movements like defund the police. Um, and um, that, frankly, was never a practical thing. Well, period. But also was never a practical thing for American Jews to support. Um, and we're seeing that now. And, and I, I haven't kind of checked in with all of my friends who were posting to Instagram about defund the police uh, a year ago, how they feel now that American Jews are being attacked in the streets and we are turning rightly so to the NYPD and the LAPD and others to keep us safe. I haven't checked in with them to see how they feel. I suspect that there are some of them who would say, you know, well, like that's that's deeply problematic and, you know, we we shouldn't you know, we, we need to we need to recognize the, that the police don't keep us any safer and these things are happening even when there is police and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I also think that there's a number and, and probably a majority who would say, you know, either, well, like defund the police never really meant defund the police um, or, you know, well, like, you know, it's it's complicated. I don't think most people would say it's more complicated than I realized because first of all, all my friends are, are very smart people. So I'm sure they realized just how complicated it was. And, and second of all, like no one wants to admit like uh, it's more complicated than I realized. <laughs> um, but, but look, like I, like I can be found in synagogue um, not every day, unfortunately, forgive me, but, but every, every Shabbat. And I am, uh, I, I feel safe knowing that there is an NYPD squad car um, uh, and, and, and private security um, outside of, of my synagogue, making sure that, um, that bad things uh, won't happen to me in there. Um, you know, I, I had the, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but the Shabbat after um, the shooting in Pittsburgh, I happened to be um, leading services, um, in my large Manhattan synagogue, um, and got up to, to do so. And so had my back to the door of the sanctuary and I couldn't get out of my mind, the thought that like, if, if someone were to come in, you know, armed and, and looking to, to do harm, um, to the, the Jews who had gathered uh, in that room um, that I was the, the most obvious prominent target um, to, to aim for first. And, and I wouldn't know what was going on until it was all over. Now that's like, we can unpack all kinds of, of generational trauma that, 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 that was going through my, you know, that, that, that is latent within me that, that, that was the thought that was going through my head. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I remember I was, I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm still young. Um, I was in fifth grade in, in, uh, in, um, during the, during the nine 11 attacks. Um, and at my Jewish day school, um, our teachers wouldn't tell us what was going on, but, but did tell us that we needed to stay away from the windows. Um, they told us that they were spraying the field with pesticides. Um, but they, they basically, they wanted us to stay away from the windows in case there was an attack. And it's just ludicrous to think like, like the terrorists came for the world trade center and the Pentagon and the next, their next stop is Solomon Schechter in New Milford, New Jersey. Like, <laughs> right. like, no, like, but, but there is, there is this kind of complex that we have this, like, we must be next complex. Right. Right. Um, and, um, and so there's, there's an element of, of that, but there also is 
truly a, a security issue and, and an importance for security in the American Jewish community. Um, and so I think while people um, are, are very much on board and, and kind of depending on what's going on in the world are, you know, fluctuatingly um, on board with, uh, with, with huge swaths of the, um, of the, the kind of contemporary civil rights agenda, um, that is not always 100% compatible with what American Jews need. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, is critical social justice ideology a cause of anti-Semitism, even if it doesn't specifically single out Jews, is a feature of it anti-Semitism in its binary, in its way of views Israel, by the way, as well. You could expand the question, is it a source of, uh, is it a permanent source of anti-Israelism because it sees the world as oppressed versus oppressors and therefore Israel will always be viewed as the oppressor and Palestinians as the oppressed. Um, how, how, how should we, uh, to what degree is it, are we, are, are many American Jews inadvertently fueling an ideology that might be used as a club against them? Look, I um, I went to Columbia at a time when critical theory was kind of already beginning to to pervade a lot of academic discourse. Um, but I studied history, um, and it it doesn't so much, or at least didn't then. Um, I, I I've never taken a class in in critical theory. Um, I've read a lot of articles about critical theory. I've never read, uh, you know, a, a book about critical theory from cover to cover. So I'm not going to to opine um, on that specifically. But what I will tell you um, is this: throughout history, when you think about it, people always had extremely good reasons to hate Jews. Okay, they killed our Lord and Savior. Is possibly the best reason I can think of to hate Jews. If you really believe that the Jews killed Jesus and that Jews alive today or not today, let's say in, in, in the 1400s, the 1500s, etc., are responsible, you know, bear a moral responsibility for killing, you know, for, for killing your savior, like that's a great reason to hate Jews. If you really believe, and, and by the way, I'll just note with some pride, and, and you know this, of course, as well, that the Catholic Church, uh, in, in coordination with, uh, with AJC, changed, um, changed its, uh, its dogma around, um, around the charge of deicide against Jews in 1965 as a result of, of, uh, of many, many years of, uh, of advocacy. Um, so we, we didn't kill Jesus anymore. Um, if you really believe that the Jews are spreading the plague and you're seeing everyone you know die of the Black Death, great reason to hate Jews. If you are poor and everyone you know is poor and you really believe that the Jews are rich, that's a good reason to hate Jews. If, um, if, um, I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm looking for, for another, for another example here. Like if, if you, are French in in the era of of Captain Dreyfus, or you are Russian, um, or you are 
German, obviously. It, all of this in the age of nationalism. And you think that the only thing standing in the way of your nation and glory are those Jews? Then that's a pretty good reason to hate Jews. And so we came to 1948 and the Jews were no longer this, you know, plague infested, money grubbing fifth column in society, Christ killing fifth column in society. All of a sudden we were a nation too. And so people needed to kind of come up with new reasons to justify their hatred of Jews. The people who hate Jews are always going to find good reasons to hate Jews. And we unfortunately saw this last month during, um, during the, the war um, in, in Gaza. And there weren't even always new reasons to hate Jews, right? Like the Jews, I'm sorry, Israel, the Jews, Israel, are, are murdering Palestinian children indiscriminately is no different then the Jews murdered Simon of Trent in 10 whatever, the first kind of most prominent blood libel. Um, it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's repurposed and repackaged. Human rights is wielded, as we know, at, at the UN and elsewhere as a club against the Jews. I'm sorry, against Israel. Um, and, um, and, and we should be highly suspect of any ideology that leads people to say, you know, Jews are in some way, you know, oppressors or, um, or, you know, belong to a somehow a, a, a less worthy class of people, even if what what makes someone less worthy is having power or, um, or being successful, um, as opposed to once upon a time, when people's worth was was judged um, in in just the opposite way. Um, so if if someone tells, and here this is kind of ironic because I, I'm I'm skeptical of equity initiatives as opposed to equality initiatives because equity is concerned with the outcome, meaning um, meaning you know we don't just want everyone to have a fair shake, and we can debate what a fair shake means, and that's an important question. Um, and one that LBJ understood as well, by the way. Um, but um, I don't just want people to have a fair shake, but I want to to impose from the top down that everyone gets to the same place, um, regardless of any number of, of factors. Um, uh, you know, if it, it, it's ironic that I feel that way about equity, because because what I'll say is any ideology that is ultimately used as justification for anti-Semitism is something that I'm going to be skeptical of. Mm. Um, so, so color me skeptical when it comes to uh, to critical race theory. Again, I'm 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 not I'm not in a position to you know to dissect it um, to um, to um, to like really engage with it critically. Um, but I have seen where it leads people, 
Um, and so that, that makes me, uh, that makes me skeptical. And if you or your readers have any kind of uh, book recommendations that they, I'm sorry, you or your listeners have any kind of book recommendations for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to, to learn a bit more about, uh, about critical theory. Yeah. What one would be cynical theories. It was written by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay. Um, it is, they go in depth in, in critical theory and obviously it is a critique. Right. Well, that's of, a, that's a critique of, yeah. right. But, but you learn a lot about, and, and they, they really draw right from the source and then they talk about where it comes from, uh, Foucault and Marcuse and um, and uh, um, others, and you get it. You get a really uh, Richard de Galgo is a uh, critical theorist who's one of the original writers and has sort of the handbook on critical race theory that you can that you can read. But I still think. By, by the way, like who who would have thought that that Foucault would end up being you know possibly one of the one of the the most important thinkers of of the 20th century. I mean, he right. was certainly not. He was certainly not set up for that during no, during his life. No, no, and at least of all the French, by the way, who are <laughs> resentful that we're taking a French thinker and and poisoning their conversation. <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I Sefi, I really appreciate this and this conversation. I hope it won't be the last one. I'd like to continue it with you because I think we're going to be in this very complicated discourse for quite a while and we're going to find, need to have people who could talk about it and talk about it thoughtfully and be able to be critical of it but also understand what it has to offer and and you're one of those people so I'm very grateful for that well th thanks again for having me David and let me just put in a plug since I mentioned uh since I mentioned uh, a, a different podcast I should I should mention my own as Please. well um and and I hope people will uh, will tune in um, to AJC's People of the Pod, um, which features a lot less of, of me opining about things and a lot um, more of, uh, of, of me asking, uh, asking questions of, of people far smarter than myself. Oh, I, I doubt that, but um, great to have you on. Take care. Thanks very much, David.